Chapter Thirteen of Miss Crispany. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Miss Crispany by Frances Hodgson Burnett. A Ghost. He had thought of her very often of late, and indeed had been quite eager to make his visit to Pennyland for no other reason he told himself than because he should see her there and hear her sweet young voice again and now he had come and she had welcomed him and they were walking over the sand side by side and yet and yet was it possible that he felt restless and dissatisfied with his own emotion was it possible that the rapture he had tried to imagine London was not so rapturous here in Paneland. Could it be that, after all, he was still only admiring her affectionately in a brotherly way, as he had always done, admiring and reverencing her gently as the dearest, prettiest, truest girl he had ever known? Long ago, when at the time of that old folly, he remembered a certain tremulous bliss he had experienced when he had been permitted to spend an hour with the beloved object. He remembered the absolute pangs of joy with which one's glance from certain great, cruel, dark eyes had filled him. He remembered how the sound of a girlish voice had possessed the power to set every drop of blood in his fiends beating. He was as calm as ever he had been in his life, as he strolled on which Georgie Esmond. He could meet her bright eyes without even the poor mockery of a tremor. He had felt nothing but calm pleasure, even when he grabs her soft hand in greeting. Will it always be thus? Was it best that it should be so? Perhaps, and yet... In the depth of his heart lay a strange yearning for just one touch of the old delirium, just one pang of the old bittersweet pain. There! exclaimed Georgie, ending his reverie for him. There she is, standing on the rocks. Don't you see the dark blue ribbon fluttering? It was curious enough that his heart should give such startled bound when his eyes fell upon the place to which Georgie directed his attention. But then again, perhaps it was no wonder, considering how familiar the scene before him was. Years ago he had been wont to come to this very spot and find a slight figure standing in that very nook of rocks, a slight girl's figure clad in a close-fitting suit of a sailor blue, a cloud of brown about hair falling to the waist and dark blue ribbons fluttering from a rough and ready little sailor hat of straw, and there was the fairy figure and the fairy accompaniments, the dress, the abandoned toes about hair, the fluttering ribbon, the sea, the sky, the shore. He was so silent for a moment that Georgie spoke to him again, after a quick glance at his changed expression. Don't you see that it is Lisbeth? She said, laughing. 
<laughs> she is very quiet, but she is alive nevertheless. We shall reach her in a minute. She is watching the girls, I think. I, th I thought we should find her here. This is our favorite resting place. Lisbeth was evidently either watching something or in a very thoughtful mood. She did not move or even appear to be conscious of any approaching presence until Georgie called to her. Lisbeth! Lisbeth! And then she looked around with a start. What? She said. Is it you two? How you startled me! You came like ghosts and Mr. Unstruther! Glancing at Hector. Looks like one! He is so pale! I have seen a ghost, was his reply. Well, I am glad to hear it, said Lisbeth coolly. Ghosts make a place interesting. She is so like herself, so self-possessed and wholly Lisbeth-like, that she awakens him completely from the sort of supper into which he had for a moment fallen. She holds out her hand for him to shake and favors him with an unmoved, not-enthusiastic smile. She is polite and reasonably hospitable in her greeting, but she does not seem to be overwhelmed with the power of her emotions. Sit down, she says, and let us rest a while. We have plenty of time to reach home before dinner, and if we hadn't, it would not matter much. My aunts are used to being kept waiting. We are too amiable to be iron-hearted about rules. So they sit down, and then, despite the reality of her manner, and Struther finds himself in a dream again. As Lisbeth talks, her voice carries him back to the past. Unconsciously, she has fallen into an attitude which is as familiar as all the rest. Her hands folded on her knees, her face turned seaward, her, the scent of the sea is in the air, the sound of its murmurs in his ears. The color on the usual clear, pale cheek is the color he used to admire with such lover-like extravagance, a pure pink tint, bright and rare. She seems to have gone back to her seventeen years, and he has gone back with her. When at last they rise to return, he is wandering in this dream still, and he is very silent as they walk home. As they enter the garden gate, they see Miss Clarissa standing at the window watching for them, just as she had used to do to Lisbeth's frequent irritation in the olden days. And Lisbeth, pausing at the gate, gathered a large red rose. The rose are in bloom she said, just as they were when I went away with Mrs. Desport. I could almost persuade myself that I had never been away at all. That velvet-leafed red rose was placed carelessly in her hair. When she came downstairs after dressing for dinner and its heavy fragrance floated about her, she wore one of her prettiest dresses, 
looked her best and was in a good humor and accordingly the Mrs. Trigarthen were restored to perfect peace of mind and rendered happy. It was plain they thought that Miss Asman had been right and there was no need for fear how the spinster's trio enjoyed themselves that evening to be sure. You used to sing some very pretty song for us, my love said miss clarissa i wonder if you remember the one hector was so fond of something very sweet about drinking to somebody with your eyes and he would not ask for wine i really forget the rest lisbeth who was turning over a pile of her old music looked up at untruther with a civil wicked smile did i sing drink to me only she said and was it a favorite of yours i wonder if it is here how nice that aunt clarissa should remind us of it she drew out the yellow old sheet from under the rest of the music in a minute more her smile not without a touch of venomous amusement how she had loathed it in a few years ago i wonder if i could sing it she said and prompted by some daring demon she sat down at the piano and sang it from beginning to end but by the time she had struck the last chord her mood changed she got up with a little frown and she did not look at anstruther at all ah <sighs> she said what nonsense it is and she pushed the poor old faded sheet impatiently aside. And Struther moved a step forward and laid his hand upon it. Will you give it to me? He asked with a suppressed force in his manner quite new. Why? She demanded indifferently. For a whim's sake, he answered. There is no accounting for taste. Perhaps I may fancy that I should like to learn it. She raised her eyebrows and gave her shoulders a puzzled little shrug. You are welcome to it, she commented. It is not an article of value. Thanks. Rather sardonically, and he folded the sheet and slipped it into his pocket. Their life at Pennyland was scarcely exciting, but notwithstanding this, they found it by no means unenjoyable. Even now, when the first week or so had accustomed them to it, they took long stretches of walks, they sunned themselves on the sands, they sailed and rowed and read and studied each other in secret. Georgie, who studied Lisbeth and Anstruther by turns, found that she made more progress with the than the former. Lisbeth, never easy to read, was even more incomprehensible than usual. She shared all their amusements and was prolific in plans to add to them, but her manner toward her ex-adorer was merely reasonably civil and hospitable and certainly did not encourage comment. To her friend, it was a manner simply inscrutable. Can she care at all? 
wondered Georgie. She does not look as if she had ever been sorry in her life, and yet she cried that day. With Anstruther, it was different. He could not pursue the even tenor of his way without feeling sometimes a sting. At first, he controlled himself pretty well and held his own against circumstances, even almost calmly. Then the stings came only at rare intervals, but afterward, he experienced them more frequently. He was not so careless, after all, and he found it more difficult to conceal his restlessness when some old memory rushed upon him with sudden force. Such memories began to bring bitter, rebellious moods with them, and once or twice such moods revealed themselves in bitter speeches. Sometimes he was silent and half gloomy, sometimes recklessly gay, but at all times he held to Georgius as his safeguard. Whatever his mood might be, he drew comfort from her presence. She gave him a sense of security that kind little hand of hers held him back from many an indiscretion. Surely the day was drawing near when he could open his heart to her and ask her to let the kind young hand be his safeguard forever. He was sorely tempted many a day, but somehow it always ended in not yet, not quite yet. But his tender admiration for her showed itself so indisguisedly in every action that the Mrs. Tregarthen looked undelighted. I am sure that there is an understanding between them, observed Miss Millicent. Miss Hetty shook her head in a comfortable, approving fashion. Ah, yes, indeed, she said. One can easily see that. What do you think, my dear? This was to Lisbeth, who was sitting reading. Lisbeth shut her book suddenly and, getting up, came to the window. What is it you're saying? She demanded in the manner of one who had just awakened from a sleep or a drowsy reverie. I don't think I heard you. Well, we were speaking said Miss Millicent, of our young friends in the garden. Sister Hattie thinks with me that Hector is very fond of Miss Esmond. End of a Ghost